Uh, hello, I'm Joe. I'm Sonny. I'm Mandalay. I'm Gabriel. And I'm Evan. Um, so <laughs> today is our final podcast about the book Night. Um, we will be having the same format as the as our previous two podcasts, uh, in which we'll be, we will be discussing three topics. These three topics will be uh, the march to Glaywitz and some of the time at Glaywitz, uh, their time on the train, and Ellie's father's death in the revolt against the SS officers and the arrival of the Americans. And then at the end of the podcast, um, we will be having some conclusion questions that we will discuss, uh, but we'll get to those at the end. Um, so I'll start. So in the march to Glaywitz, um, it says, you know, it was just horrible because uh, Ellie had already um, had an injured foot and um, at least like once they got to Glaywitz, it was so packed in the barracks that people were like literally suffocating um, and dying because it was, they were just being shoved in. Something I wanted to point out was like the march wasn't even really a march because the entire time like the SS were like yelling at them like constantly behind them and they would kill anyone that wouldn't be moving fast enough for them. And here, um, Ellie uh, hates how weak um, his body is because he feels like he's still, um, his mind still wants to persist, but his body just isn't strong enough, which is why everyone's falling behind, but he knows if he lets himself slow down, he's gonna get killed. At one point in the book, it says the idea of dying, of ceasing to be, began to fascinate me. I think that just shows how painful it was to much rather be dead and just not exist anymore. Yeah, it's crazy because like his his mind is stronger than his body a lot of the time and that's what's keeping him going, but it it starts to get concerning when you start to lose hope because once you lose hope then you lose your life basically because you it, it's it's just so hard to keep up with like all the rules and stuff that not just Pressure, but the only way to make it through is to have a good mindset, even though it's horrible. Well, for him also, his whole mind was focused on being a father. On page 86, he goes, My father's presence was the only thing that stopped me from dying. Uh, basically, that's what he's talking about. He was running next to me, out of breath, out of strength, desperate. I had no right to let myself die. What would he do without me? I was his sole support. So, for him, he reaches this point where he he's not living for himself he's living for his father because they've gone through the whole war together and he thinks it'd be like cowardly to die and leave his father alone yeah i thought it was interesting too nearer to the end of the march um like he almost his he and his father kind of switched roles where his father was really just losing hope and you know, there were several points later in the book where his father was just like, you know, just leave me here. I want to die. And Ellie had to, you know, kind of pull him back from the brink. Um, you know, I think it's it's incredible that they could, you know, that you could be so tough that, you know, even whenever the best option for them really probably was death. 
you know, just end the suffering, you know, they stayed tough enough to continue, you know, even through, you know, arguably a living hell. Even through all of this, Ellie's father still smiles at him in one point in the book, like, um, when they're both, like, fighting to, like, keep each other awake so that they don't die from the cold. And, like, it shows that, like, even in the worst, his dad is still smiling at him, and even though the smile is kind of weak and reminiscent of death, it's still a smile, and it's still trying to comfort him. And when they get to the, um, they finally get to Glaywitz, um, and everyone just kind of piles up and is trying to sleep in a shed. It talks about how uh, Rabbi El- Elihu, how his son um, had gotten lost in the commotion, and how he, uh, Ellie has kind of an ugly thought about how maybe his son had done it on purpose, had separated himself from his father so he would be freed from this burden. And he kind of had the same thought, like, what if I rid myself of my father, then I don't have anything to worry about, and I can just do whatever I want. And yeah. he um, prays to God, like, do not ever let me do that. I must admit, it's pretty inspirational in some way. Okay, so it sounds like... Uh... Our first topic discussion is coming to an end. Um, so our second topic will be kind of discussing uh, Ellie's time on the on the train and the other prisoners' time on the train. Um, so I'll go first. So just to give a little bit of background, the uh, to evacuate from Glaywitz after they only stayed there for a couple of days. Um, before they were, the Germans evacuated them and they pushed about a hundred um, Jews into each like train car or wagon or whatever it was. Um, and uh, it's crazy because it's just the Germans, whenever they would travel through German towns, some of the citizens would like toss bread to them as entertainment. And as entertainment for the Germans, they would. Um, they tossed the bread because they knew that the, the people inside the cars would like try and kill each other to get the bread. Um, you know, which I think is just like horrible. I don't understand how you could ever abandon your humanity so much that you watch people totally slaughter each other, you know, for amusement. And there was a specific instance where a piece of bread had been thrown into, um, the wagon by a German worker and men are just killing each other and um, one guy he picks it up and his son literally kills him for this small piece of bread but then he doesn't even get to eat it because more people kill him for it yeah I mean it's you wonder if it's you know almost maybe like, yeah, and as you as Joe was saying about humanity. Yeah, where it's about humanity because you, you know, you could see this in the gladiatorial games. I think death, uh, I think they're kind of romanticized as, oh, is this whatever killing sport, whenever really it was kind of frowned upon that they, whenever a gladiator would kill each other. But, you know, I think it's still 
the idea that maybe naturally humans just gravitate 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 towards like the most intense sports being the most entertaining you know that's why combat sports are often the most watched i think just because they're the most dangerous and you wonder you know why that is it's also why like we have like Oh, we can go. Sorry. We have, like, this, like, weird, morbid fascination with, like, death and, like, I don't know. I feel like that's interesting because a lot of people are, like, squeamish about that stuff, but at the same time, a lot of people are fascinated by it. And, like, another thing I want to point out about humanity and the Jews is that, like, some of them even, like, start to lose their humanity. Like, not like it's their fault because, obviously, they're going through a ton of crap, but um, whenever they stop, the SS officers order them to take the dead bodies and toss them out and they're more than happy to do so so that they have more room for themselves and i think that like it says as it is with human nature to not really want um, to step in when you see other people fighting or even like killing each other because you're not in that situation so like these workers they're just like oh whatever they're so amused i mean it's a spectacle for them and that's their fun. Yeah, maybe you wonder if the, like, the German citizens, like, understood, oh, you know, we're totally about to be obliterated by the Russians and the Americans. You know, maybe this is, if this is the end, then I can just kind of do whatever I want. Yeah, so um, it, it sounds like this second topic's uh, kind of wrapping up. So uh, our third topic today, we'll be discussing um, the death of Ellie's father, uh, the time in kind of, I think it's Buchenhold, um, and the revolt against the SS officers and the end of the book when the Americans arrived. Um, so I'll start. Um, so I think... It's, it's crazy, you know, it's horrible that his father made it so far only to die of dysentery, I mean, like literally days before freedom, you know, and it's just, it's horrible that, you know, you'd be so close and then you just, you know, you die. I think he had just made up his, well, obviously his body um, had taken some severe damage and was so malnourished, but he had made, he had made up his mind that he wanted to die. So Ellie felt like he, when he was saying, father, stay with me, he was just arguing with death. His father had already chosen it. Yeah, even when they first got there, um, Ellie's father lays down, he wants to lay down in the snow. And that just shows, like, how he was, like, kind of giving up hope and he was expecting to die. Because even in the train car, uh, like someone said earlier, I don't quite remember, uh, Ellie's father was so close to death. 
they almost tried to throw him out of the train car. And Ellie's father was the one who told Ellie, like, don't sleep in the snow. Like, if you sleep in the snow, you're going to die. And then when they get to Butchenwald, he, the same thing. Yeah, I also um, remember part of the book where they're doing, like, one final selection. And they're like, all right, if you want to dive, go to the left. If you want to live, go to the right. And Ellie's father just straight up walked over to the left. And so Ellie had to run over to stop him. Um, and then, like, in the commotion, they managed to get back over to the right. But several people were shot and killed by the Germans who were trying to get from the left to the right. Um, and I think it's just, you know, it's terrible that his father just was just ready to die. And that's when he also realized that he, um, that as much as he loved his father and wanted him to stay with him, he really did feel like he was the burden. Um, and it was to his eternal shame that he, like, grudgingly stood by his father even as he saw him about getting weaker and weaker. In a way, he almost just wanted to completely leave him and just be free. I feel like the thing with that is that he he does want to be free, but I feel like another part of him wants to, he wants his father to die or he wants to lose his father so that he could just get it over with. Because I have a feeling that Ellie knows it's already going to happen and that's the worst thing that could happen. And he just wants it to happen already so that he can move past it and get it over with and not have to deal with it or worry about it anymore. Yeah, it even said in the book that he didn't even cry over his dad's dead body, which just shows how he's changed over the course of the book. Because he started from doing everything before his father said, not even crying after the dad. It did, um... It did kind of break him in a way, though, because after his father died, nothing mattered to him anymore, and he was just kind of like a walking um, corpse. He wasn't really trying to live, and he didn't really care if he himself died. All he wanted really was food. Um, he constantly says how he dreams about food, and that just shows how starved these people were. That's all they cared about, just eating. Yes, those are some really good points. Um, well, it sounds like our third topic is coming to an end, so. Yeah, it's like they, they give up their morals and they regress to just basic human survival. Also, even at the end of the book, after um, they're freed by the Americans um, in April 1945, he still sees a corpse when he looks in the mirror. And I don't think he's ever gonna shake off that feeling because of the horrors he went through. Okay, so now it sounds like uh, this is the end of the discussion. Um, so we'll move on to our kind of concluding questions. So the first one is, would you recommend this book to anybody else and why? Um, so I'll start. I think, I think it's a good book to read um, although I also think that if you don't, uh, if you're not really old enough to understand, um, 
to understand the book and kind of really understand what was happening. And I, you know, I don't think it's really that useful if you read it at a much younger age. Um, so I'm sure, like, if I read the book again in 10 years, I'd have some different thoughts about it than I do now. Um, so I think it all just kind of depends on perspective. I would recommend this book. Yeah, I, I think it was super, um, it was well written because not only was it factual, but it was written from someone who actually experienced it. So there was definitely a lot of emotion that played into it. And it shows um, just exactly how these people felt. I think it was a very eye-opening book and I would recommend people to read it. I would. I would definitely recommend it because even today a lot of people like like to kind of the Holocaust ever happened and kind of push it under the rug and this book is like really an eye-opener in my opinion like literally just like in the first few chapters it talks about just like they just like kill off the children they literally just take them and just like throw them and burn them alive in fire and that's probably like the worst way you could die and like just right off the bat it it shows just how horrible it was and how it broke so many people and killed so many people and i feel like a lot of people need to be shooken like that it's kind of a slap in the face for people who don't believe that it actually happened Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would definitely recommend this book. Oh, sorry. You can go, Gabriel. I would definitely recommend this book if you want to, like, see other people's perspectives, like, to actually understand what's ha what happened. So, you know, just, like, like um, just so, you know, just ignore because you do have to, like, know it if you want to, like, know better how some other perspectives are. And if you want to, I guess, make this world better, this book is definitely teaching. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, to Jordan's point, I don't, I don't know if I've ever heard anybody who just ever, like, denies that the Holocaust really happened, but I think it is good to understand, um, I think there's an old proverb or something that's like, oh, those that forget the history are doomed to repeat it, you know, and I don't think it would, you know, it certainly wouldn't be good for humanity to ever repeat something like the Holocaust, um, so I think it's good to understand why it happened and how it happened. Um, so um, I think, I guess if, if nobody has anything else to say, we'll move on to our next concluding question. Um, have you learned anything from reading this book and what has that been? Um, so in reading this book, I kind of learned about the true conditions of the Holocaust. I mean, I always knew it was bad from, you know, hearing about it, but whenever you read a first-hand account like this, it, it just kind of is more eye-opening. I think although the book was written um, in one person's point of view and specifically just like their experience, I think it can be applied to so many Jewish people at that time about how they lost their faith and um, just their, their thoughts and how so many people a lot of times they only wanted to stay alive just so they could 
be there for maybe their father or their mother or that one other person that they were just clinging on to. Something that I thought was interesting was this book really ties into the whole process of dehumanization, not just other people dehumanizing them, but they themselves dehumanizing themselves because of what happened to them. They're almost becoming like, like I said earlier, they're regressing to just wanting their basic human needs because that's all they can do. And um, I compare that to the book Lord of the Flies because that also shows just how fast someone can lose their humanity. Okay, so sounds like that was um, the, our thoughts on that question. So the final question is, are there instances in this book that you can draw parallels to today? Um, so I think, um, you know, I don't know of anything today that is quite as bad as the Holocaust, but I think there are some instances, I mean, stories you hear from the where um, the Hispanic people are being kept um, in the near the border are pretty rough. Um, and lots of places in like third world countries have kind of very similar um, stories where you hear people kind of being totally slaughtered for any number of reasons and it's just kind of horrible to hear about. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I can't really think of many instances off the top of my head in America where this is happening, but I'm sure that things like this are, that are similar are happening in America and places in America, but for sure, it's definitely more mainstream that things like this are happening somewhere in the world all the time, especially third world countries, probably things that are almost or just as bad are happening every single day. And even if there aren't full-on genocides um, occurring, there's definitely dehumanization or um, bias and stigma that are against certain people's um, and just saying like, oh, they're not equal to us, whether they're not as smart or hardworking, um, it's not true. Okay, so it sounds like this is kind of coming to the end of the podcast. So uh, I guess I we probably actually want to see you again, but or talk to you again or whatever. So uh, bye. <laughs>